tuning in to another Mental Health Musings podcast segment. I'm super excited. I say that with every session, but really I truly mean it because every session does excite me. I'm really excited about this one because we have some great guests and we're going to talk about a subject that I struggle with, sleep. In case this is your first time tuning in, I'm Stephanie Z. I use the pronoun she, her, hers. I work over at the Health Network as the coordinator of well-being. And I'm super excited, another word, right, again, to have my co-host introduce himself. Um, you might have recognized him on our last segment about growth mindset, and I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, my name is Peter Frito. I use the he, him pronouns. I am a second year human development and family studies major with a concentration intervention and prevention science and also a horticulture minor. I'm very happy to be here for my first show co-hosting. Our guests who are here, they're more of the experts of sleep since I am not very good at it. Are you good at sleep, Peter? I am I'm not that good at sleep. Great. So this is a great segment for us to be. So I will go ahead and let them introduce themselves so we know who they are. I'm Natalie Roll. I'm an occupational therapist and I specialize in behavioral sleep treatments, um, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And I work over at the Center for Community Partnership, which is within the occupational therapy building Mouthful, uh, which houses our sleep services program. So that's what I do. I run that program. I'm the director and supervisor and also a clinician there. And so I do a lot of work helping people day in and day out, just helping them get better sleep without using medication. And my name is Michael Sewell. I am a LPCC. I'm a counselor over at the CSU Health Network. So I work a lot with uh, mental health stuff and sleep kind of plays a mixed role in that where um, oftentimes sleep is a primary concern for many of the students that come in to see us. Oftentimes it's also sort of a uh, symptom or secondary piece of what's going on for them, mental health wise. Oh, and I use he, him pronouns. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I use her, she, and hers. So you all kind of shared how your specific role involves sleep. I would be curious, and I don't want to steal Peter's question. Maybe if you wouldn't mind delving a little bit more of like kind of what does a day-to-day look like? So if I were a student coming in to see both of you, what would that look like? Maybe is there an intake? How does sleep come up? Because we all know, I mean, I remember as a college student, sleep was something I struggled. I already struggled that with that in high school. And then in college, it was like, what sleep? Um, I did never pull an all-nighter. I was proud to say that. I still at least got one hour of sleep. But I mean, yeah, it just fell by the wayside. And now here I am in my 40s, and I still struggle to get decent sleep. And so I'd be curious to know, like, if I were to walk in, what does that look like? When you first come into the counseling center at the CSU Health Network, uh, we'll do like an intake. During that time, you know, if you're having concerns with sleep, that's the time to express that and uh, make that known. But also, even if you if that doesn't get done in the on-call session, because that's usually only about 20 to 30 minutes, uh, in your first initial session, we will specifically ask uh, about sleep, uh, among other biological things like diet, nutrition, things like that. So that's where it would come up initially. And then oftentimes um, it can kind of come up organically in sessions where uh, clients, students will mention that they're struggling with sleep. And uh, then that's an area that we can kind of hone in on. It can give us some information about what's going on psychologically. And also it is a, a big contributor as well to many mental health concerns as well as the symptoms. So 
uh, sometimes getting that fixed or developing a healthier relationship with sleep. I like that language a little bit more. <laughs> um, that can also have a tremendous impact on our other things like anxiety and depression that uh, students are coming in with. And I'll bounce off of that. Um, <laughs> so to reach our sleep services clinic, you likely could have been referred by someone over at the counseling center, mm -hmm. which would be wonderful. Uh, or you can self-refer. So you don't need to uh, have a referral to come over to us. We are a self-pay program. We do some insurance stuff on the background, so it's important to know that, but we always start out with a free screening. So any student who feels like they might have a sleep problem, we do a free screening. So it's completely uh, no cost at which free means, so you're welcome for defining that. Um, and <laughs> it also is virtual, so there's not a lot of commitment to come over to our office. It's only a 30-minute appointment. You um, email or call me, and I set up a 30-minute virtual screen over Teams with you. Make sure you qualify or at least get you two different assessments that you can bring back to primary care to talk to them about the sleep problem. I also truly believe in collaborative care. So if I take someone on as a patient, I'm definitely going to try to get an authorization signed to talk to their mental health counselor, their primary care doctor, and anyone else they might have as part of their team. After that screen, we do a full health history. So a 90-minute full health history. It might not take that long, but I want to make sure I get all the nitty-gritty details about not just sleep, but other things that are going on. As it was alluded, to very correctly. They very much interact with each other. So it's really important for me to know everything that's going on with that person. Then we move into a goal setting appointment. I don't make changes when someone just tells me to. I'm pretty stubborn about that. Uh, so I extend that same respect to all my clients and I do about 40 minutes of education. So goal setting starts with me explaining the physiology behind sleep, circadian system, your homeostatic sleep drive system, uh, stages of sleep, all that good stuff, what it looks like across a night. And then I give goals, which I think really motivates people to do them because you actually understand why I'm asking you to do it. Then we do just what I call titration and monitor. So you come in, we make sure you're getting better um, all the way up until discharge uh, or you fire me. One of those two <laughs> things. <laughs> so focusing a lot on like the positive aspects just around sleep, like besides just how you can be a better sleeper, but being able to work on nutrition or other things I think is very important. I think with all the talk about positive sleep and everything, what is positive sleep? Why do we make such a big deal about how important sleep is? Because I think everybody kind of knows that getting a lot of sleep is important and kind of the basics, but why is it important? I'll take this one first and I'll leave out the stuff about mental health. I'll let you okay. capture all of that um, and repeat whatever you want that I'm sure. about to say uh, or new things. God, that was rude. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I feel like sleep is wildly important today. I think it's getting a lot of importance because it was ignored for a super long time. I think the research of sleep is like 60 to 70 years old, which when you look at research as an infant, um, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's not very much research on it overall compared to some something like, uh, for example, exercise or diet. And I say those two because sleep is the third pillar of health. So we now know that sleep is the third pillar of health. You have to have just as good of sleep. Otherwise, you're not benefiting from the exercise as much. You're still benefiting from it um, and your diet. So in order to get the full benefit of all three of them, you've got to be tackling all three of them and addressing all three of them in the best way that you can. I can say that sleep is valuably important because we know that uh, the easiest way for me to say it is, is it's basically the main activity that you build all your other activities off of. So it's the foundational block that you're going to build all of your other physical activities and all of your mental processes off of. So you have to have a good foundation in order to do that. 
Um, it's a total myth that everyone needs eight hours of sleep. Not everybody needs eight hours of sleep. Um, it's actually between seven and nine. It depends on the person. Uh, they say that as long as you're getting a good seven hours of sleep tends to be the cutoff today. It used to be, I think, five and a half or six. Um, and it's different for every person. Don't get me wrong. There's short sleepers out there. But you are statistically more likely to be struck by lightning twice than to be a short sleeper. So just keep that in mind. If you're if you're banking that you're a short sleeper, you're probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. No excuses. <laughs> um, but it's just to say that if you're only sleeping that much, that there's room that you could sleep more. You really don't understand the benefit of how good you feel with sleep until you're getting that sleep. And then I think it kind of clears a fog. Uh, we know that heart health, I mean, I could go on and on. Heart health, basically how your body rids all of the junk throughout the day. It's also critically important for learning and memory. So you mentioned I didn't pull any all-nighters, which is awesome. Because if you pull an all-nighter, please be aware that when you go in to take whatever test you're taking, you have not moved that information from your hippocampus, which is your short-term memory vault, to your neocortex, which is long-term. And if anyone here has ever tried to recall things off of short-term memory, we know that you're going to forget or misplace or confused data. So when you pull an all-nighter, you're doing yourself a disadvantage because you're not able to transfer those memories over and rid all the junk you accumulated all day. There's lots of memories we accumulate all day that we don't need that are just clogging up that space. And at night, we totally clear them. The brain's pretty amazing. The more I learn about sleep, the more I realize I don't know anything. Um, but the brain is very amazing in that we tag things throughout the day. So I probably bounced all around, but that gives you a few of the really important pieces of sleep. And then I will pass it over here. Yeah, I think you touched on a lot of important things and uh, some stuff that I was, uh, I'm really glad you touched on because I think it's really important. Uh, that last piece, especially about moving memories. Um, you know, that has huge implications on mental health as well as just like learning because the process of growth of therapy uh, can essentially be looked at replacing unhelpful, maladaptive patterns with new, more helpful ones. That's a very, you know, rudimentary oversimplification. Mm -hmm. But basically what happens, <clears throat> what we see with what I see with most clients that come in is they have this pattern, this thing, uh, oftentimes based on a memory, and it, it worked at the time. You know, it's not bad. I'm doing air quotes there. <laughs> and um, then the work is to then shift that to finding new ways that work uh, in the present, new patterns. And so what you're talking about there with memory also applies to psychological events such as like harmful memories oh, yeah. so if you have like uh something really shitty painful happen to you uh, but you don't get good sleep you're not really offloading that or transferring it into the the long-term memory where it can just kind of sit there and exist without that sense of urgency that most yeah. people feel when they're dealing with depression or anxiety because it's still stuck in that short-term yeah. slot so you know if you're not getting good sleep, something that happened months ago might still feel like it happened yesterday. And that's what can create a lot of distress yeah. for people. And then, yeah, like what you said, it's the foundation. I look at it as kind of a reset. It's like everything you do during the day. In fact, if you're going to therapy, <clears throat> you'll probably get more out of therapy if you're sleeping well and soundly, because that's also a kind of learning experience that you're having. Yeah. And so you can 
you know, talk to a therapist, learn a lot of great things and have a sort of cognitive conceptual understanding of like, oh, I have value. You know, these other people's judgments don't actually mean the whole world. That's just their perception. I have value regardless, for yeah. instance. But if you're not getting that good sleep, that remains this kind of abstract concept that's just in your mind and it doesn't move down into like your whole embodied being, which yeah. is really where the change is going to happen. I love that you said that, too, because it kind of reminds me just of that more cognitive flexibility versus that cognitive mm -hmm. rigidity. And when you're underslept, right, as just primarily as a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. your, your brain's going to be more rigid. It's mm -hmm. not going to have as much exactly. of that flexibility. Yes. And so obviously getting some more uh, better sleep mm -hmm. is going to lead to more of that cognitive flexibility, which is going to help you integrate what you're learning in your counseling. Precisely. Yeah. And that's what so many people will come in as sort of like a chief complaint of theirs is like feeling stuck. And we've all been there. And so sleep can be a way to kind of, you said, integrate what you're learning and kind of move on to the next phase of things. And yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to build on one more thing that you had said, which just reminded me also the emotional piece of it, mm -hmm. right? So we feel like, well, if I don't sleep, you know, I already feel sad or it's not going to help mm -hmm. me to kind of get past that. Right. But also sleep is really amazing in that it also helps us to detach memory from the emotion. Mm -hmm. So when we get deep sleep, we actually pull apart some of that emotion from the memory as it's transferred yes. into long term. So you're able to recall, for example, my grandmother passing away five years ago, and I can talk about it now without getting super emotional or upset, partly time, partly sleep. Sleep helped me to pull that sadness away so I can think about my grandmother without mm -hmm. feeling sad like I did when she passed away. And so it's such an important piece to think about mm -hmm. because you're not able to do that as effectively if you're not sleeping. If the listeners could see me now, I would be that emoji where the head was exploding because <laughs> I am just, right, you too, Peter? I'm like, everything you're saying, I'm like, is this for me? I mean, I always feel every episode is for me, maybe because I help curate the topic, but it really did hit a lot. And we talked a lot about growth. We talked about growth mindset in our last episode. And I'm wondering for folks that struggle with it, it's probably be due to some sleep, right? Because the inability to be flexible and adapt and reframe the way they are looking at things, right? It's easier if you're able to, if you're sleeping and taking care of all of that emotional clutter, et cetera. I also was thinking about, I know people don't do this anymore, maybe on laptops, but like I used to defragment my computer. And so that's why I think about when you say sleep, it's like a way of defragmenting your brain. I think that's a great uh, analogy <laughs> yeah. or metaphor. Yeah. I didn't realize how big of a an impact sleep made on mental health. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of the one thing that I didn't really know with, I guess, taking apart emotions and everything from like the actual memory or something, because I was going through therapy also, and I didn't really realize how much sleep impacted it because i know that sometimes i would have tougher days and i think that mm -hmm. it might have been just hindsight but they might not have been the best sleeping days but i didn't realize that how important getting sleep is to mental health yeah. and i think the other thing that resonated with me was natalie saying um how sleep is kind of the foundation between with like exercise and nutrition because i know at least in certain situations if you're trying to bulk up or something then you're trying to you're focusing on your nutrition and your exercise but i think one of the things that always that usually gets left out is sleep even yeah. in academic or, I think, athletic settings. Definitely. The other thing, too, I was going to bring up that Michael and I were talking about this before, too. I think to understand sleep and just 
our bodies, you really have to think pre-industrial revolution. We existed for so much longer in pre-industrial revolution than we do today. So if you think about it, if you're underslept or your diet's off or you're not exercising, so your body's getting more of these kind of stress signals, your body's going to operate more in survival mode because it's waiting until we can get past Maslow's hierarchy, right? So we've got to have all the things we need to be safe until we can move on to do other things. I think sleep is one of those incredibly important pieces that we have to have in order to be the human that we want to be and can be today because we have so much more of a capability to do more things today than we did in pre-industrial revolution. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect between mind and body going on today too. Right. Yeah. And I really like what you said there, Natalie, about uh, feeling safe and that kind of being uh, more at the top of the hierarchy uh, compared to something like being happy, which is what a lot of people seem to want to strive for. I want to be happy all the time. Well, like nobody's happy all the time, <laughs> right? And so a lot of what we work on in counseling and therapy is developing the ability to manage difficult emotions rather than eliminate them. Because like anxiety, fear, these things are evolved, like you're saying, to uh, bring our attention to something, something important. They have a purpose. They're not just there to ruin your day. And sleep seems to be really helpful at kind of buffering us uh, against the distress of these emotions. Yeah. So we're not eliminating them. You're still going to feel uh, some sadness when you think about your grandmother. Mm -hmm. But it's not that unbearable exactly. weight that you were probably feeling within the you know, recent days of her passing. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad that I feel sad because it makes me appreciate when I feel happy. Mm -hmm. I like to always tell people, because I think that this is so involved in sleep. And I think that if the mentality is kind of, I need to be happy, it creates this dichotomy where we're very black and white. Mm -hmm. I'm either happy or I'm sad. I'm either good or I'm bad. And I think there's this whole realm that exists in the middle that I just like to call content. <laughs> like, yes. are you content? Uh, if I go to, now a zoo is a terrible example because the animals are not in their wild habitat, but it's as close as I'm going to get. Uh, if you go to a zoo or even look at animals on a safari, I wouldn't say they look overly psyched. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, man, they're looking really happy right now. But they look content. They have everything they need. And if they didn't, they'd get up and go search for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, we need to be a little better with because it'll help with sleep. If we can say, hey, I didn't have the best day, but you know what? That's OK, because I had a really good day a few days ago and these days happen. You're going to sleep better with that mentality because you're not going to be in fight or flight than you will be if you're stressed about the fact that today did not lead to a 10 out of 10 happy day. That fight or flight response is always going to override sleep. So we have to be in parasympathetic to get good sleep. And then good sleep would sort of support that contentness that you're describing exactly. as well. Yeah. Exactly. And help you just feel like, because content is a good thing. I, mm -hmm. I think content rides on the side of, of as close as you're going to get to whatever definition of happy is. If I look in my day and I think, how was my day today? And I think, oh, man, I felt pretty content all day. It's a pretty good day. Yeah. Like, um, So I think it's just the way we're kind of thinking about it, because mm -hmm. I totally agree. If we base everything on, did I have a 10 out of 10 day? Sleep's going to suffer. Diet's going to suffer. Relationships are going to suffer. Mental health's going to suffer. So you talked about what happens to the body if it doesn't get enough sleep. And then you shared what is enough sleep. I think contentment is huge. And when we talk about mental health and well-being in 
terms of our office and what we do, we talk about it on a spectrum. And so we often say that on one end, you have people who are doing okay, they're thriving, you know, they're um, maybe flourishing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are not doing great. There might be in crisis, there might be suicide ideation, right? Um, my role specifically is the middle, which is the educational outreach and trying to reach those that maybe are thinking like, do they need to go see someone or do something for their mental health, but they don't feel like they're quote unquote, like, you know, worse off or bad enough. Right. And I feel that way about, but you don't have to be right. And the same thing, I think with the happiness, like just because you're not, you know, poop and rainbows and unicorns, like doesn't mean that you're not content. And so I think I love that way you put that. You know, we often talk about, you know, sleep hygiene. I actually just emailed my doctor because um, I said I've been having trouble. I've been able to, I, I've, I've switched to like a new medicine. And so I get sleepy when I take it, but then I cannot sleep through the night. So I will wake up and it's only been like a couple hours and then I'm up and I'm like, what, what do I do? And I have a cat who hasn't seen me in a little bit. So this, this was yesterday. So this cat is like, play, play, play. And I'm like, I'm just trying to sleep, you know? And so I think I stayed up and I think I like started cleaning. And then about like five 30, I was like, okay, maybe I'll lay down. And then I fell back asleep. Um, so maybe in total I got X amount, but I'd like to be able to sleep through the night. And so when I emailed my doctor, this is a long roundabout way of saying, when I emailed my doctor about this, she emailed me a, like a bullets of good hygiene, right? So I think a lot of folks know to not be on your phone an hour. She said two hours, but like at least an hour prior to sleep. The bed is only for sleeping or sex, right? You should not do your homework or eat or do anything to associate not sleeping or lying down with your bed, et cetera. But I guess from you two, if you wouldn't, like, why is it important for students to practice good sleep hygiene? You know, we say that, but really, like, why, what is that? Why do we emphasize that? One thing that I think has been covered a lot here is the role that sleep plays in learning, right? So if you're a student, hopefully you're learning. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ideally, that's the goal. And... um yeah, you know, it's actually a way to kind of invest in that learning process so you don't have to pull all-nighters or, you know, study quite as hard the, the night before the test if you study a little bit here and there, but you're sleeping and then you're really encoding that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits there for just learning and uh, memory and things like that. And then also, I think it's important to remember that many college students are... Um, still developing like yeah. their brains are still developing the human brain is not fully developed until you're around 27 which is quite a while yeah. <laughs> um, it, it does taper off a little bit as you get older so you're not doing the same increment of development but there's still development to be done and when you sleep part of what happens is that the, the body releases like growth hormones which uh, impact brain tissue as well yeah. so especially if you've had any uh, traumatic brain injuries that's something to think about Oh, yeah. um, but as growing people, you want that, uh, you want all the, uh, all those good juices going to the brain. <laughs> and, um, an interesting piece about that is that, uh, this happens at like the first phase, I believe of the sleep cycle. And something that I've learned in my research is that, um, if you miss that, you can't recover it by just sleeping longer. So that's why it's really important to go to sleep around the same time every night because your body's in this rhythm. And so let's say you go to sleep at 10 most nights, but one night you go to sleep at 11, 
or 12, let's say one, let's be real. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, you still end up getting that seven, eight hours of sleep, but you're not going to get that initial jolt of that growth hormone that helps with your brain development. So that's what comes to my mind when I think about why it's so important for students. This is a tangent before we get to you, Natalie. So like Swin, and I did this too. So during the week when I didn't get enough sleep and I was like, ooh, the weekend, I'm going to sleep in. What does that do then? Does that help? Am I going to get more of the growth hormone? Now I'm like thinking all the growth hormone I missed out on in college. Like, who could I have been, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough uh, tough thing to wake up to. It's a little bit of cold water for me when I saw that. Because I always like, oh, it's Friday. I can sleep in tomorrow on Saturday. I'm going to stay up late. But I'm still going to get that eight hours of sleep. So we're all good. Well, not so, apparently, yeah. So... You, you cannot catch up on sleep. It is a total fallacy that you can catch up on sleep. Now, there is some research out of Ken Wright's lab in Boulder that was published a few years ago indicating that if you are a, a short sleeper, if you only get five hours of sleep Monday through Friday, on the weekends, if you sleep longer than that, you can reduce your mortality rate to the normal mortality, mortality rate of everybody else. <laughs> so that's the benefit. Um, that was the benefit that he found, which is still good. Don't get me wrong. Um, and it's not a one-to-one. It's not like if you don't sleep, you're going to die. I know I made it sound like that. It's not. Um, there's a lot more steps involved, but it's just showing that mortality rate. And it doesn't show that they you thrive the way that typical people would if you're getting your seven to nine hours a night. Um, to bounce off of what Michael said, too, about the timing, timing is so important because our circadian systems need to be entrained. Circadian systems are about 24 hours. I'm going to bore everyone for a hot second here, but circadian, circa means about, and diem means a day in Latin. And so circadian literally means about a day. And it is about a day, and I'll fast forward this education. Um, come see me if you're interested. <laughs> but I'll fast forward this a little bit. Basically, because we use the sun as our anchor to the circadian system, the sun is the only consistent thing for thousands of years. Circadians evolved for thousands of years, even nematodes, earthworms, beetles, they all have circadian systems. Um, and so because that system needs to be anchored and entrained, mm -hmm. that system's only entrained with light. And so the reason that you're not going to get the full benefit if you sleep in is because number one, you're not getting that good core sleep at night. And number two, you're giving yourself circadian jet lag. So your circadian system does not understand sleeping in and it's trying to anchor itself. So if you sleep in by an hour, hour or two on the weekend, your circadian system thinks you traveled to central or east coast time. And your circadian system is always going to try to align. So it's going to shift all about 80% of your physiology, which is what the circadian system regulates, not just sleep. About 80% of your physiology should run in a rhythmic, smooth manner that takes almost no thought from the body. So when we alter wake time, your body's going to try to move everything forward an hour or two, which it takes about an hour a day, to try to match. So that tomorrow when you wake up in that time zone, you're untrained. But now on the you because you slept in, you're up early. So now your your body's like, crap, we're in Pacific, go back. So all this unnecessary shifting happens, which means your body can't rely on those core 80% of those physiological processes to happen when they need to happen. So it's not just important, it's actually more important that you get up at the same time every single day. It is important that you go to bed around the same time, but if you anchor your wake time, it'll result in you feeling <laughs> sleepy at about the same time every single night. So as much as Nobody wanted to hear me say that. <laughs> yeah. um, it is the strongest factor to improve your sleep that I would tell. If, if anyone called me and they said, I can't afford you, I can't work with you, can you give me one piece of advice that will help me? 
I would say set a set wake time and anchor it and make sure that once you do that, you're getting at least seven to nine hours of sleep a night. If you hinge towards the nine hours and your sleep starts to dissolve, pull it back to eight. Um, so that would be kind of the best advice. I'll also tell you that sleep hygiene in the form that it's typically given now. Before I say this, if you're drinking 17 Red Bulls a day, wearing a perk out of bed, and you got your heat on to 75 degrees, like a big jacket, oh. <laughs> then probably sleep hygiene is a problem for you. But if you're the typical person who has had a sleep problem, you've looked into sleep hygiene, a lot of those things are helpful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to not do them or to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just saying those things in and of themselves are not going to change your sleep. And it's going to be frustrating because it's a lot of work. If it were me and I wanted my sleep to change, I would use stimulus control. Stimulus control is a monotherapy in research, which means in and of itself, it statistically significantly and functionally changes your sleep. And those things are this. Get up at the same time every day. Only sleep and sex in bed. If you're able and it's safe, get out of bed after about 20 minutes of not sleeping. You don't want to associate frustration, being pissed, angry with the bed. You want to get up and do an enjoyable activity until you're ready to sleep again. Limit napping. And if you are going to nap, make sure it's much earlier in the day and that you're not dozing right before bed. And if you can, if you really have a sleep trouble, don't nap. I feel like I'm forgetting a major one for some reason. Uh, one that comes to my mind is... Um not like eating right before bed. Oh yeah. There no are. alcohol right before bed. Or. Yeah. You don't want to, exercise has gotten a lot of, uh, there's probably going to be someone in the health and exercise science department yeah. who hears me say this and is like, ah, no, they say you can exercise anytime. But I will tell you clinically, I've been doing this for about a decade. People who exercise pretty invigorously within an hour or two of going to bed, I've seen it disrupt their sleep on their sleep diary. So while a lot of research shows that it doesn't, it's totally person to person. Mm -hmm. You have to look at that person. And that's the same with all of these suggestions, by the way. It really is individ individualistic, but you have to look at that person and make those changes. But that's what I would do. I wouldn't do sleep hygiene because sleep hygiene in and of itself has never been shown to be a monotherapy. Now today, little bits of sleep hygiene get pulled in, like set wake time, the person who told you only sleep and sex in bed, that's wonderful. I actually rarely see that on the list. Usually what I see is just exercise, alcohol, screen time, and all of those things are important, mm -hmm. but without anchoring the circadian right. system and without making sure that you're building up sleep drive every day in a consistent fashion, they're not going to be as successful. I always tell people to have an hour wind down period. Yeah. So it's important to recognize that within an hour, probably two, but we'll go with an hour because for most people that's more feasible of going to bed. You do not want to look at social media, no news. You don't want to, the Ted Bundy series probably isn't the best one to throw <laughs> on right before bed. Um, those types of eating right before bed, these types of things are circadian daytime time givers. So they're not things that you want to do right before bed. And they're things you don't know what's going to piss you off or tick you off until you see it. Yeah. And now you're in fight or flight. Um, and cortisol yeah. has a longer half-life than you would want it to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing I want to say to kind of piggyback off of what you're talking about there with the circadian rhythm and tying that into phones is the light source, right? That's a huge thing is because how you mentioned the sun, right? Well, how do we know when the sun is out? Because we're getting sun in our eyes. So one thing that I have found to be helpful personally with um, clients and I've seen research on is that when you're setting that 
sleep-wake cycle, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you want to do is get some sunlight in your eyes. Do not look directly into the sun, I want to say, <laughs> um, but look out your window. Get some of the, And it actually, your eyes have this amazing ability to register the difference between like low-light sunlight when the sun is uh, rising early in the morning or setting in the evening compared to midday sun. And your eyes and brain can actually tell the difference mm-hmm. between those. So getting early low light sunlight so around sunrise or you know whenever you're getting up just getting some of that early sunlight and then in the evenings if you can take some time to go outside to get some of that evening light that will assist in setting that circadian uh, rhythm and it doesn't take long it's like five ten minutes of sunlight and that'll uh, tell your brain what it needs to know so true you're an animal go outside (laughs) (laughs) as a student i feel like i don't do much of the sleep hygiene things because I know that I go on my phone like right before bed mm-hmm. and I feel like it hasn't affected me but I think for other students who are uh, either academically doing things before bed I think it's hard to be able to balance like school and then studying and then sleep how would that how, how do you have any tips for students to be able to kind of effectively sleep if you get up at the same time every day you now were just blessed with five extra hours on your weekends to do homework um, I say that laughing but I truly do when you regulate your schedule a little bit more you've got a lot more times on the weekends because you're not sleeping in and when you're not sleeping you'll be awake before a lot of your friends um, so you can do that I say that only jokingly I think in reality, at least if school hasn't changed much since when I was in it, which was forever ago, you're always going to have more than what you can do. There's always more of a pull. And so I think it's having a good relationship with your professors, recognizing which of those classes are really, you know, testing out of the book, which ones are testing out of your notes, getting that good relationship, getting ahead on things. Don't procrastinate. Procrastination is just the, the, um, probably beginning start of mental health and sleep issues because you're always in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So as much as you don't want to, I tell people try to use the five minute rule. So early in the semester, get some stuff started, get some stuff done. If you do five minute rule, by the way, some people are like, what? The five minute rule is basically I want to eat pizza for dinner, but I have salad. And if I just start eating the salad, I'm going to do it for five minutes. And if it sucks as bad as I think it's going to, after five minutes, I can stop eating the salad and I'll eat the pizza. Or I can start doing my homework. And if after five minutes, it's as terrible as it sounds, I'll go outside in the morning for five minutes. (laughs) And if it's as terrible as it sounds, I will come back inside. What that does is gets you over the initiation hump. That's the hardest part for most people. Once you get the book out and start doing it, usually you're just going to keep going. And you have to respect that five minute rule. If Every once in a while, you don't. You truly are like, this is not the time. Then put it away and respect that and come back to it in a couple hours. That'd probably be my biggest advice. Yeah, I think that's excellent. And just giving yourself permission to break assignments apart. Like you do not have to complete every assignment in one sitting. I know that's something I struggled with when I was in school. So it's like, how how do I have the time? Well, yeah, put in as much time as you have and prioritize sleep. And I know when I was... In school and even still now, you know, you don't have a lot of free time and doing all this hour wind down period, go to sleep at the same time, wake up at the same time. You know, I I think the evening is one of those few times where you have some real free time to yourself and it's easy to get in the mindset that, oh, this hour that I have to spend winding down for sleep is taking away from my free time. And I would invite you all listeners, everyone, (laughs) whoever's out there, to reframe that as rather than detracting from tonight, you're actually investing in tomorrow. Yeah. And um, 
that's just a different framework to look at sleep through and um because i know that was one of the biggest challenges i had with uh, getting to bed on time and everything when i was in school also keep in mind too you're actually a faster more efficient that's the same thing but we'll just say it in fancier words you're a more efficient studier if you get good sleep Mm -hmm. so you will get things done faster you will have to read reread i should say paragraphs less often Mm -hmm. uh you just will be more on your ball and on your game if you're sleeping well so my advice would be never cut sleep out i would always make sure that you've got six hours and even that pains me to say um but i want to be realistic um i i even would say like six and a half but even you want to make sure you're at least getting and by the way when does learning and memory kick in for sleep the first five hours are considered core sleep and that tends to be physiological healing and the growth hormone and Mm. and you know fixing immune system it's the last two to three hours where learning and, and memory come into play in a big way. So if you cut sleep short repeatedly, you're always cutting short that integration of learning and memory. So it's important you're going to get farther with your studies by prioritizing sleep. Also, people who sleep more, uh, I shouldn't say that because you can't you can oversleep. It's not as much as you can get as a good thing. Um People who sleep about seven to seven and a half hours per night, eight hours per night, actually make more money on average. So you've got your one or two few people who brag about sleeping five hours and they're billionaires, but the percentage of those people are so much lower. The percentage of people actually nationwide who get better sleep tend to make more money. So I think if you're not motivated by sleep in and of itself, hopefully you're motivated by making money, which is probably why you're in school. And if you sleep more, better quality, those people tend to make more money and do better in school. You mentioned, oh, people who get more sleep will make more money. And I think about folks who just don't have the ability to do that because of like social identity. So thinking about folks who are like single parent or have multi-generational household or, you know, socioeconomic status might hinder like the environment they're in. So what advice do you give to, to students who fall in those categories? Right. Because I think one of the things that I know students struggle with regarding like topics of mental health and well-being is that it's catered very much like toward the dominant identity. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so regarding sleep, right? Like, again, the, the, the advice you're giving is super profound and very spot on. And if a student is saying like, well, that doesn't apply, that can't apply to me. How do you, what do you do in that situation? What do you, what do you offer? I think the first thing I would, say is i would want to validate that like that's true that's a part of their life and um that's not necessarily their fault that's the situation that they're finding themselves in and that has to do with a lot of external things that are frankly unfair um that they didn't have control over or choose and and i think it's important to acknowledge that and also accept the situation that they're in right like you want to get the best sleep that is possible for you. Like if there are limitations, uh, I was talking to someone earlier today about this podcast and about sleep and they're saying, Oh, um, you know, my partner works a shift schedule, so they can't have like a scheduled sleep time, which is just frankly, uh, you know, un- unfortunate and unfair. And, um, you know, I-, I think we have to be compassionate with ourselves Uh, I would tell a person in that situation uh, to practice some self-compassion about what they do and don't have control over. And then like, let's look at what you can control, right? So maybe you, maybe you work night shifts. So you're not 
going to be in that natural circadian rhythm, but we can still try and get that, you know, six and a half, seven hours of sleep. We can still try and do that as best as possible. Yeah. Show yourself some compassion uh, for, you know, the limitations that have been placed on you by, frankly, like a society and a, a culture that doesn't really value sleep. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're hitting up against here right now is we have this knowledge of what's healthy and then there are limitations based on work, school, just, and our culture does send us this message that you should always be doing something productive, which is basically the most anti-sleep thing yeah, <laughs> you could say, because it's like very much not doing anything. And we don't really value that so much in our culture. So I would definitely want that person that you're talking about, Stephanie, to also give themselves permission to challenge some of those messages they've received from the culture that we live in and um, acknowledge that some of that is misleading and um, unhelpful, frankly. <laughs> And statistics can be helpful, right? But it also is not meant to put you in a box. And I've seen statistics be wrong all the time. As often, no offense to any statistics majors out there, but as often as something can be wrong, that's the major thing about statistics, right? Is like, it's right until it's not. And I think that it's great to say something, like I said, like, oh, people who sleep more tend to make more money. That does not mean, though, that if you're in a situation where you don't have that ability or there's environmental constraints or socioeconomic constraints, that you still cannot be one of those people who ends up sleeping fairly well and being incredibly successful. And it's not all about just one or two things. I think it's about exactly what you said. It's, it's how you look at what do I have control over? Because although it feels like a lot of things are out of my control, there's got to be a few things that are in my control. And how can I help capitalize on those to kind of move forward? And it's not that it doesn't suck and there's not a lot of things about life that are unfair. I think it's about addressing it and making sure that you don't get stuck in I think it's okay to take a moment and to feel like it's unfair and to take as much time as you need with that. But then at some point to say, all right, it's going to continue to be unfair. So how am I going to take the bull by the horns, for lack of a better way to say this? How am I going to get the resources and supports that I do have out there to help me see how I can kind of carve a path? Um, because you can always carve new paths. And I just want to empower anyone that's in that situation that don't feel held down by as you know, what society says is the way that it's going to be or not be, that's not written yet. Yeah. And, you know, don't take on that personal responsibility for something that's like uh, a situation that's you're being placed in by our culture and our exactly. society. Like that's, that's not you. That's something else. With all the information that we have, I think there's so much. I'm going to definitely tell my friends and everyone that I know, like all the different stuff I told them, because I know that I definitely struggle with some of this stuff and I I'm as I'm as you're telling me stuff I'm thinking about how sleep probably impacts them too. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking hey maybe they could implement this but what are some quick resources that you guys both have that would be able to benefit students or other people listening to the podcast? There's a free app. So I truly believe in tiered services. So um, there's a free app that you can download from the VA called CBTI Coach. Um, it's a free app from the VA. It'll walk you through some of the CBTI principles. At least it can help. Oh, by the way, before I say that, I should probably rewind. Uh, if you have sleep trouble, you should talk to your doctor. So of course, the first thing always is bringing it up to a medical professional. That way, if it hasn't been addressed, they can make sure something else isn't going on. There's other things that can contribute to that. At that point, then there is like CBTI coach. Um, there is seeking counseling because mm -hmm. that can be something that's incredibly beneficial. There's a wonderful book that I love.
of called Quiet Your Mind and Get to Sleep. I'm not a publisher of that book. I have no interest in it. I don't get any money for it. I should at this point, um, <laughs> but I don't. And it's a wonderful just self-help book that walks you through some of these principles, talks about some of the basics of sleep in and of itself. Um, and then I think if those things don't work, uh, reaching out to someone like myself um, who can help you to really address sleep and see what's going on with you personally. Yeah, I think those are really good jumping off places. There's also supports, of course, like in the hospital and other places. Um, sleep's pretty new in its infancy. So if you talk to someone and their first initial suggestion is medication, I would suggest that if if you don't know what that medication's for, if they haven't looked at it, if it's for general insomnia and you're not sleeping and the suggestion is let's take meds, please just know that that's not going to be a long-term solution. Mm -hmm. You're going to habituate, get tolerant to those medications specifically for sleep. Um, so just I would get a second opinion if that was the only recommendation given to me at this point. Yeah. Um, so resources, uh, like you said, Natalie, mental health. I mean, that's the field that I'm in. So I definitely um, would recommend talking to a therapist. You can come down to the CSU Health Network right down uh right at the corner campus on a uh, college and uh, prospect. I don't mean to interrupt you either Michael but I'm going to throw something in there. Go for it. Everybody should be born with a mental health counselor. Like, it should be <laughs> on your birth certificate and then like the next five people you see after that person retires. I'm just saying that to normalize it for all those people mm -hmm. out there that Stephanie had mentioned earlier who say I don't seek counseling because I have a friend who's in a worse spot or mm -hmm. I'm not bad enough. If you need help, reach out for help. The Counseling Center is amazing. Mental health support is amazing. And we need to start reducing the stigma behind it. Thank you for that endorsement, Natalie. Yeah, and, and I would definitely just second that. And, um, you know, there's one of my favorite psychologists, Viktor Frankl, had this phrase. He said that suffering is like a gas. It fills up the room. It doesn't matter how big the room is. And so if you're suffering, which might feel like kind of an intense word, but that's what it feels like when you're not sleeping, yeah. Um, yeah. then yeah, it's something to get, uh, something to talk about, um, something to get some professional assistance with. And uh, sometimes just the space to um, work through some of the things that might be keeping you up at night can be very helpful. Yeah. Another tool along that is journaling. That's something you can do on your own. You don't need a therapist to do that. But journaling can be very helpful because sometimes when we're trying to sleep, you know, we're trying to hold all these things in our mind and just putting it down on paper can give your brain permission to just chill the hell out and yeah. go to sleep. So that's another strategy. But as far as resources, uh, I really like the Andrew Huberman podcast. He's a researcher out at, I think, uh, Berkeley or, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, and he's a neuroscientist and has several, I think at least three podcasts about just sleep. And he has a lot of really great research-backed uh, ideas for how to get sleep. And that's all on YouTube, so free. Um, and Matthew Walker, just to throw his name out there. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, other resources would be, um, there's a sleep study on campus, I believe. I, the sleep I think lab. that's the sleep lab. Yeah. And uh, we can also, also, if you come into the counseling center, we have a lot of information and resources there. And even if you just want resources, you can just come in, uh, walk in hours or from around like nine to four, uh, most days and, uh, Monday to Friday, at least. You know, if you just want resources, you're not necessarily ready for therapy or interested in therapy, you can come in just for a half hour appointment and we'll uh, help point you in the right direction. 
um, as far as that uh, sleep center here on campus as well. Um, so those are the biggest resources. And, and also, I just invite everyone to get curious about themselves and experiment a little bit with their own sleep. Like what feels like it's working? What feels like too much sleep, not enough sleep? What, um, yeah, just kind of play around with it a little bit, get curious. That's going to be an asset for you. If you have a sleep problem, one of the best things you could do, go online, get the consensus sleep diary. It's free. You can get the short version um, and just fill it out. Sometimes just filling out a sleep diary. And I mean, every morning, like within 30 minutes of waking up, not, oh, crap, it's 7 p.m. and I didn't fill my sleep diary out today. So I'll retrospectively fill it out for what happened last night. Um, we don't remember as well when we do that. So if you get a sleep diary and fill it out within an hour of waking up every day and just look at your patterns over two weeks without perseverating, without just look at it, you'll see really quickly a few things that you could probably tighten up mm -hmm. that you're not aware of right now. Um, there's just a certain awareness with the sleep diary. We all feel like, well, I go to bed around the same time. I wake up around the same time. I'm not up a lot at night. But once you write it down, you're like, ooh, okay, my bedtime and wake time varies by four hours. And uh, some of those other things can come to light. And it can be helpful if you see mm -hmm. any of the sources that Michael just mentioned or myself. That's a huge jumping off place for us. If we already have a sleep diary, that's going to give us a mm -hmm. lot of information. It looks like it's an app. Too. Oh, awesome. I looked it up too. That's kind of cool. Better, yeah. <laughs> it, I'm honestly going to try it. I feel like I get good sleep, but I'm going to actually give it a try because I'm really curious to see. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that it sounds like what you guys are saying is more of, I think, obviously, depending on it, if if maybe you're stressed or you're not sleeping well is different. But if you've been like not being able to sleep, being able to see if it's a doctor, talking to a doctor, a sleep therapist, or just seeing what other resources you have is important to see. Oh, my gosh. We could talk for yeah. ever about this. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, um, I mean, this is some behind the scenes recording, but we always, you know, in you don't hear all of the back talk of like, oh, we're almost done. Uh, wrap it up. And here we are like at, to the hour. We're like, oh, okay. Um, and before we all have to go to our next thing. But Natalie and Michael, I just want to thank you all so much for taking the time out of your day to sharing information with the listeners and Peter and I about sleeping and the benefit of sleep. But really just get diving deep into it. I think we often hear the things that we hear, but for you to explain the science and just really show us that connection of how it relates to mental health, but also helps students to do well, not even students, but just anyone who's learning, yeah, right? Yeah. My job, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, how did I get hired? Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't get any sleep. So thank you so much. And for the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Always a pleasure. Um, please stay till the end of the podcast so you can get the link to evaluate this episode. And also if you have any suggestions as to future podcast episodes, feel free to let us know. And uh, last but not least, I want to thank my co-host Peter first episode. So many more to come. So thanks again, everyone. Have a thank great you. One. Yeah, thank Anytime. you. Thanks for having us.